as we continue with John chapter 3, a conversation with Nicodemus. Most of the leaders had decided early in Yeshua's ministry that he was not the Messiah. And their rejection became the position of the majority of the Jewish people of that generation and has continued to be the position of the majority of the Jewish people to this day. However, in every generation, there has been a minority, the faithful remnant, who went against the majority and were loyal to God. And in our situation now, to be loyal to God, you must be loyal to the Son of God. Nicodemus was part of the faithful remnant. He was a religious leader. He was a great teacher. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was Israel's governing body. So Nicodemus was a religious leader and a political leader of the highest order. If anyone could be saved by obedience to the Sinai, covenant, it would be Nicodemus. And yet, Rabbi Yeshua told Nicodemus that he could not be saved by mere Torah observance. He needed to be born again. Nicodemus needed a new nature, a new godly nature to enter God's kingdom, a new nature that only came from the Spirit of God transforming us and giving birth in us a new nature. And Yeshua told him the way to be born again and to get this new nature was to know that Yeshua is the Son of God who would, after this conversation, be crucified and resurrected. So that's the first part of John chapter 3. Yeshua continued his conversation with Nicodemus, and we're going to start with John chapter 3, verse 16, which is probably the best-known verse in the entire Bible. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Rabbi Jerry, what does it mean that God gave his son? And what motivated the father to give his son? And how did he give his son? Well, Rabbi Lauren, God gave his son by allowing Messiah Yeshua to live a perfectly sinless life, to be the atonement we needed to be able to enable us to be cleansed of our sins, to enter the kingdom of God and be born again. Essentially, that's the whole message of the Gospels, particularly John's Gospel. We're beginning and going to continue to work through that whole story as we walk through John's gospel. But that's the giving of his son, that Messiah Yeshua really was born, he really lived, he really died, and he was really resurrected. And his sacrifice, his atonement, allows us 
to become temples of the Holy Spirit. And the motivation for this is love. And notice here, the love is not just for the Jewish people or Israel. That's probably what Nicodemus might have thought. Um, you know, God had clearly shown that he loved the Jewish people. He gave us the Torah, the commandments, Israel, etc. But this isn't a love just for Israel. This is a love for the whole world, even though that world is covered in spiritual darkness and hates God. And so even though we love the darkness, right, as John's gospel says, um, God still loved us more to give us his son. John tells us that we have eternal life by believing in Yeshua. What does believing mean, Rabbi Jerry? Well, and we've, we've talked about this a lot the last few weeks, Rabbi Lauren, between me, you, and Rabbi Glenn, that believing is more than just signing an intellectual statement or a doctrinal statement. Belief here really has to do with transformation. It means being born again, which is what Messiah has been talking to Nicodemus about. It's a faith that leads to transformation and regeneration. And so the only way we can have eternal life is by putting our trust in Messiah Yeshua and being transformed by him. I would also add that believing is... Um, more than just intellectual agreement. Yes, I believe that, you know, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. I, I believe that, but the demons also believe that, <laughs> and they're not saved. So belief is knowing something uh, is true, and in our case, our belief must be focused on Yeshua. He is the center of belief for us. Uh, we know that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, crucified, risen, ascended. But it also means faithfulness. Belief and faithfulness are like two sides of the same coin. Faith and faithfulness. We have to have faith. We have to believe. but. Uh, it must result in faithfulness, fidelity, loyalty to God. So real belief is not just intellectual. It is also accompanied by faithfulness to God, obedience to God. I agree. I think I think you're alluding to, you know, what Rabbi Paul taught, right? Faith or uh, what the Gospels or the letters teach. Faith without works is dead, right? The idea that... Um, we have to have our faith lead us to doing something to show that fidelity in some way. It should be demonstrated in some way in our lives. Yes, it's easy to say, I believe, but uh, real belief is characterized by loyalty to God, to God the Father, God the Son, the Word of God, obedience, right living. Anyone who believes in Yeshua, he told us, has eternal life. And the opposite is also true. Those who don't believe in Yeshua will perish. God gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So this is very important. Yeshua is making another statement about the condition of humanity. Human beings are not good. 
Humanity is alienated from God, who is the source of life. We are in a state of spiritual death. We are headed to hell, not heaven, to eternal death, not eternal life. And so the only way to escape perishing, dying, missing out on heaven and eternal life is to believe in Yeshua and be loyal to him. Uh, if you don't, you will perish. A powerful statement on the condition of humanity. Humanity is perishing. The only escape from perishing is having faith and loyalty in Yeshua. This applies to the whole world. Rabbi Jerry, John 3.16. This is probably the best-known verse in the Bible. Why? Uh, I think two reasons, broadly speaking. One is, in many ways, it's a shorthand for the gospel message. You know, um, I can think of many famous sermons, one of my favorites from S.M. Lockridge, one of my favorite uh, preachers, just on this verse alone. You know, 40, 50, 60 minute messages, walking through the entire gospel word by word using this verse. So it's very convenient in that way. But I also think it's popular because it's so positive. You know, you pointed out, you know, by looking at it from the positive statement, we can infer the negative, right? That humanity is perishing. But I don't think a lot of people, particularly those who are not saved, look at this verse and understand that correlation that you're making. And so it seems like such a very positive verse, right? It's about love and God saving us. And so it just feels really good to hear, as it should. It's a, it's an amazing, powerful verse. But, you know, as we're going to go on here and see, this verse is so well known because it's so positive and shorthand. But the next passage we go into is probably way less well known because it's way less positive and happy overall than what we just read. Uh, I think this verse is so popular because you're right, it's very positive, but it also tells the bad news as well as the good news, which I yeah. think is very important for us. We can't always be positive. We do people a disservice if we just tell them, um, good news without telling them the bad news, that they're in trouble, that they're alienated from God, that they're headed towards death, not life. Yeshua does both. He loved the world. He gave his one and only son as a sacrifice, atonement, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. So there's the bad news. Uh, humanity is perishing. The good news, but have eternal life. Positive. Uh, a synopsis of the entire gospel, really in this one verse, bad news and good news. So in a sense, this verse says it all. Let's continue with verse 17. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. I remember this is Yeshua talking to Nicodemus. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light 
for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Rabbi Jerry, God's motivation for sending his son, Yeshua, gives the motivation both positive and negative. Uh, talk to us about that. Well, the positive is that Messiah was sent to save the world through him, right? And so, again, the linchpin of God's salvation, the spoke upon which it all rotates around, is Messiah Yeshua. Um, the only way is through him. So that's a positive. Um, the negative is there is judgment. Um, on a positive side, there's a positive judgment sense that we who are believers, those who have been transformed, been born again, will not be judged. Um, but those who do not believe in God's one and only son have already been judged. And I think that that tense there is really important, right? Is Messiah Yeshua, his first coming, wasn't sent to judge the world because the world itself was already judged. We were already under the curse. We already were dying. God's judgment was pronounced really in the garden, if you want to go back, right? Um, so what's accomplished in the first coming in believing in Messiah Yeshua is escape from that judgment that has already happened. Um, and those are and those who will not escape that judgment are judged because they love the darkness, they refuse to believe, they've rejected God and continue to reject God. And we'll see in the gospel, we've already seen it, but we'll see it throughout the gospel of John, many people who encounter the light of the world, Messiah Yeshua, and refuse to believe in him. So God's motivation for sending his son was not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So that's the positive motivation. Uh, God sent Messiah to save the world. Uh, he did not send the Messiah to judge the world. The world was already judged, like you said, already condemned. Uh, the motivation is to rescue, to save, to deliver, to uh, reconcile lost human beings back to God. What wonder, wonderful motivation. And again, this is another powerful statement by Yeshua on the condition of humanity. Humanity is not good. It's not okay. It's not acceptable to God. We are all have already been judged. The sentence has already been issued. We are condemned. We are headed to hell, not heaven, to uh, death, not life. We need to humble ourselves, uh, not care what other people think and humbly come to God, uh, ex, you know, acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have done all kinds of wrong things, and uh, be willing to publicly identify with Yeshua and uh, believe in him. If we're willing to humble ourselves and uh, come to Yeshua, 
we are doing what is right. The light is going to start shining through us and others are going to see what they, uh, we are doing what God wants us to do. But those who are too proud, too arrogant, don't want to humble themselves, don't want to admit that they're sinners, they've messed up, they're in need of God and Messiah, uh, avoid the light, they make a bad situation worse. Uh, the light has come, and now they're uh, ignoring the light. Absolutely. Even worse. Absolutely. I think, you know, piggybacking on that a little bit. You know, I think this passage really talks about what or who do we love, right? We see what God loves and who God loves. God loves the Son and loves us enough to send his Son into this world. But humanity is described as loving the darkness. We don't love God. We love darkness. And so in some ways, belief in the Lord is a transfer of love, right? It's moving our love of darkness and evil and sinful things, and through the Lord, transforming uh, and being connected to God. All right, we just lost Rabbi and Lauren here on Skype. Give me one moment. Let's see here if this will work. Otherwise, I'm going to continue. We lost you there for a moment, Rabbi Lauren. Hopefully I'm back. You are back. So I don't know if I cut out when I was speaking. Let me just make sure you're popped back up on the screen. You are. Okay, we're kosher. Um, I was just saying, you know, it's it's a transfer of love, believing in the Lord, right? It's moving our loyalty, our love from darkness and sin and evil to the Lord and light and the fruits of the Spirit, right? Yes. And again, another powerful statement on human nature by Yeshua, that people love the darkness more than their light. Their actions are evil. This is what characterizes humanity. Uh, we love the darkness more than the light. Uh, we are not attracted to God and light and truth, quite the opposite. We're repelled by it. Humanity is in a state of deep spiritual darkness. Yeshua is the light. If we catch a glimpse that he's the light and then we come to him and acknowledge that we've been in the darkness and wrong, you know, our whole lives and are willing to embrace the light and the truth, we go from darkness to light. And that's a wonderful thing. However, only a minority of people are willing to do that. Uh, just the faithful remnant, the majority will refuse to do that. All right, let's continue with John the Baptist's great statements about Yeshua. John introduced this part, which are John the Baptist's great statements about Yeshua, with this historical context, verse 22. Then Yeshua and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Yeshua spent some time there with them, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salim, 
because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. And then John adds this. This was before John, meaning John the Baptist, was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jewish man over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him, to John, and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. All right, so John gave us background information. He gave us details about where Yeshua and the disciples went after being in Jerusalem and what they were doing after they left Jerusalem. They went to the Judean countryside. Yeshua spent some time with his disciples there. He was baptizing people. Rabbi Jerry, why do you think John gave us these details? Well, I think it's it's twofold. twofold. I think think first, first, um, so that we can follow the narrative that John has been giving us, right? So there's, this is a story, right? It's a true story. It's historical account. So we're getting these details of background information to understand the flow of what's going on in Yeshua's ministry. But also on a very basic level, it's, it's about historical fact, right? Real places and times and situations um, were given key details about this is before John was thrown into prison, et cetera, et cetera. And so, again, this isn't a fable. This is real historical fact. Exactly. John's disciples were concerned that Yeshua was becoming more popular than John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist wanted them to know that it was good that Yeshua was becoming more popular than he was. And John's response to his disciples teaches us very important truths about who Yeshua is and also more about who we are. Verse 27, John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success, Yeshua's success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Rabbi Jerry, John the Baptist told his disciples that no one can receive anything unless God gave it to them from heaven. Why do you think John said this to his disciples? I think he wanted them to have the correct perspective, which is that his entire ministry that John had been performing was given by the Lord, right? John didn't earn this. John isn't amazing because of himself. This is something God gave him, instructed him to do from heaven. And so his disciples, right, are like, 
you know, this other guy is getting way more popular and, and his disciples are getting way more popular than us. And so they're looking at this from a human perspective and they see this other ministry growing, theirs decreasing. And they're like, you got to do something. We have to keep increasing. Um, but what John wants them to understand is being humble as a servant means doing or not doing what the one you serve asks of you. It means doing the things that they tell you to do and not doing the things that they tell you not to do. So it was the Lord's desire for John to decrease and Messiah to increase. That's what was to be expected. That was the whole point of John as a forerunner of the Messiah. And that's okay. And John's okay with that. And they need to be okay with that as well, because as stewards of the works that God has given us, we have to be okay with what God is doing and not try to say, oh, we should do things this way or that way, when God is making it clear the way he wants things to go. Is there any way that this applies to us today? What do you think? Does it apply to us today? I think it does. I mean, candidly, in ministry, uh, I, I think about this passage. Um, many pastors, Messianic rabbis, get very jealous when they hear about good things going on in other places. And that tends to get compounded when things in your own house, in your own congregation or church, maybe aren't going so well, right, on top of it. Um, but we have to understand that as leaders, we're also middle management. God is the true CEO, the true boss of our ministries. And we need to just be faithful to what God is giving us and sensitive to the moving of his spirit in our ministry and in other ministries as well. We also, pastors can be very territorial, not wanting to work together with other leaders. John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, should have desired not only for Messiah to increase, but to ask the question of how can we help him increase, right? Because, you know, what is, what is it that we can do to help elevate and lift up this wonderful Messiah? And in a, in a sense, that's what we should ask as well is, you know, what small part can we play to help uplift and encourage other ministries and good works that God is doing as well? Not trying to create division or strife, which I think is the well, work of the enemy and human spirit. You're right. Well said. Verse 31. John continued speaking to his disciples. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he, Messiah, Yeshua, has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Rabbi Jerry, let's start off with... Um, the contrast between Nicodemus, whom Yeshua just talked to, one of the great teachers in Israel, and John the Baptist. Well, Nicodemus, as we talked about last week, was a Jew among Jews. He was a religious Pharisee. He was a powerful member of the Sanhedrin. He was well off, most likely financially. He was well respected. He was probably very well loved. John the Baptist was a man of humble means who ate wild honey and dressed like a man who literally came out of the wilderness, right? He has this uh, uh, wildness to him in his ministry. 
But consider these words and, and the two pictures we have here. When Messiah Yeshua admonished Nicodemus, it was because he did not understand the things of heaven. Why? Well, because he did not believe yet, truly believe, been born again. John the Baptist does understand the things of heaven that Messiah Yeshua has shared because he believes. And so John, the greatest of the prophets, understood that Yeshua is from heaven. And because of that, he is greater than any other human being. He understood he was greater in nature and wisdom and knowledge. And so the contrast here is who you expect to really know God isn't it would be Nicodemus. He's well-trained, better educated. And yet it's John the Baptist who truly understands God because he truly believes in him. Appearances, uh, you know, uh, can be deceiving. I, um, I agree. So John understood that Yeshua was from heaven. He was greater than anyone else. He spoke the truth. He testified about what he had seen and heard. He testified truly how few believe what he tells them. So, again, this is a commentary on human nature that even though we have someone from heaven, the greatest man who ever lived, greater than anyone else, very few believe what he tells them. What does this teach us about Yeshua, Rabbi Jerry, and what does this teach us about humanity and human nature? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. We've been hitting this pretty hard today, but to hit it again, you know, again, consider the generation that John the Baptist is speaking to. This is a generation that literally has God walking among them, right? Teaching, preaching, saving, blessing people. And he says of the, of, of this people, He says, very few believe in him and believe his words and trust in him. So this tells us, first of all, about about humanity. It teaches us that we really are in love with evil and darkness and corruption, hiding away from our sins, refusing to see what is right in front of our faces. For John's generation, it was literal. Um, We will do anything. We're like, we're like children, right? We don't want, you know, we'll do anything, close our eyes, you know, put our uh, fingers in our ears, go la, 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 I'm not listening, right? To the truth of God that's being shouted throughout all creation to us. So that tells us about humanity. What does it teach us about Messiah Yeshua? Well, it means he's more than just a great rabbi. He's more than just a great prophet. He's more than just like a really good person. He really is the most important person who has ever lived. And the implication is straightforward, but serious. To ignore him is to invite endless suffering. To welcome him is to invite endless blessing. All of our choices in life ultimately depend on what is our response to this man, to God. Do we choose to believe and follow him or do we choose to reject him and love the darkness. And the consequences for each, positive and negative, are very clearly spelled out, especially in this chapter of God's Word. John said that how few believe what he tells them. Uh, I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah, chapter 53. Who has believed our message? Who has believed our report? 
uh, Isaiah also um, expressed the same truth that it would only be a few, a minority, who would believe the message about the suffering Messiah who would die to atone for sin and later be resurrected, all in Isaiah 53. Uh, who has believed our, our message? The answer is very few. So again, Christians, Messianic Jews, we must be of the same understanding that the true believers will almost always be a minority, the faithful remnant. We cannot seek approval, self-worth from what the majority think. Uh, what they say about us, we must get our identity from God and from truth and from Yeshua. Uh, we cannot um, get our uh, identity, uh, sense of worth from the majority who will always uh, disbelieve uh, the truth. Verse 33, anyone who accepts Yeshua's testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. Very powerful statements by John the Baptist about who Yeshua is and what he does. Rabbi Jerry, how does us accepting Yeshua's testimony, which is a, a strong word for, you know, his teachings, what he says, testimony, this is like legal, it is official, it, you know, how does us accepting Yeshua's testimony, his teachings, his words, um, affirm that God is true? Right. So. You know, in Messiah Yeshua, he has a spear without limit. Again, he's he's beyond anybody who's ever existed before. And so what I think John is referring to here is experiential in the sense that when you truly put your faith in Messiah Yeshua, accept his testimony, which is a term used throughout John's uh, gospel a little bit, but especially in the revelation written by him, this idea of this, of this witness of who Messiah Yeshua is, we know God is true, right? We know that God does not lie. It's the one thing he cannot do is lie. And so when we experience Messiah Yeshua, truly experience him, we will be able to affirm that God, that he really is God and that he and the Father are one and that what, what he has been teaching and saying and promising really is true. You will, we will really be able to know that he really is sent by God. I think of... Uh, the Roman centurion, right? Looking upon the cross going, truly, this man was the son of God, right? You know, just being the experience of what he saw transformed and gave him real faith. And I think that's what John's talking about here for each believer in Messiah Yeshua. If we believe Yeshua, what he said about himself, what he said about everything, if we accept Yeshua's testimony, everything that Yeshua said, we are agreeing with Yeshua. We are agreeing that um, God is true, that God sent Yeshua, which is what Yeshua said. Uh, we're 
also agreeing that Yeshua speaks God's words. Everything that Yeshua said, nothing came just on his own mere initiative. He was constantly hearing from God. He only spoke what God, you know, communicated to him and wanted him to speak. So every word of Yeshua comes directly from God, unlike any other human being. Every word of Yeshua is true, it's godly, it's divine. And then this powerful statement, God gives Yeshua the spirit without limit. Um, Rabbi Jerry, you know, before Yeshua arrived, you know, the spirit of God would come upon mm. a prophet or a priest or a king or, you know, an ordinary human being to empower them for, you know, their ministry. Uh, Yeshua is so radically different from anyone who came before him or even anyone who came after him. We all have the spirit with limit. We are, you know, limited creatures. Yeshua is so special. God the Father gave Yeshua the spirit of God without limit. Yeshua is full, overflowing with the spirit of God. That gives him the ability to be so close to God, to, you know, think the thoughts of God, to hear the words of God, to speak the words of God. John understood all this, and this is the statement of this great, greatest of prophets about Yeshua. Verse 35, the father loves his son and has put everything into the son's hands, into Yeshua's hands. So two statements, God the father loves his son. And out of that love, he has given him everything. He has put everything into the hands of his son. So God the Father has delegated um, authority and power and control of everything. The universe, everything in it, all forces, all powers, the present, the future. God, the Father, loves his son and has put everything into the hands of his son. Uh, Rabbi Jerry, I mean, the son is in control of everything. He is the Lord of everything, the Lord of all. Does it make sense to ignore or be disloyal to the one whom God the Father uniquely loves and has given control of everything? Obviously not, you know, and I think, again, the context of this, right, John is talking to his disciples who are upset because their ministry is diminishing while Messiah's increases and he's communicating to them very strongly be you know understand who it is that's increasing here and I I think that's the thing is it's you know we need we need to be loyal to Messiah issue we need to be concerned about his ministry increasing here on earth you know again our our lives our love our focus should be, on Messiah Yeshua, on the one whom God loves and has given control of everything, you know, and 
yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be disloyal to him. Thought just occurred to me where John says to his disciples, Yeshua must increase and I must decrease. You know, we talked about jealousy between, um, you know, ministries and ministers, but I uh, just another thought. I think the better we know Yeshua, uh, the longer we live with him, uh, the better we understand him. We'll come to the same place ourselves. He must increase, but I must decrease. My life is going to be less and less about me, <laughs> my desires, what I want, my this, my that, my advancement, my career. We're going to have fewer and fewer thoughts about me. I must decrease. He must increase. We'll have more and more thoughts. How can I give my life? How can I give my time? How can I give my talents and abilities? How can I give my treasure, my money to make him increase? Our lives will be more and more about him and serving him with everything we are, sacrificing more of us so that he might increase. Absolutely. I, I think of Rabbi Paul's words, the idea of being conformed, shaped to his image, not to an image of ourselves. You know, this transformation, this regeneration, we talk about being born again. It isn't about being the greatest version of Rabbi Lauren or the greatest version of Rabbi Jerry becoming perfect versions of ourselves. It's being, you know, the Rabbi Lauren, you know, suffused, filled, transformed by the image of Messiah Yeshua, the Rabbi Jerry that's been transformed by the image of Messiah Yeshua. We become more like him as we are conformed to his image, as we're transformed. Less about us, mm -hmm. more about him. Verse 36, and this is the final verse of this chapter and this interaction uh, with John and his disciples. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Very similar to what Yeshua had said previously in his inter interaction with Nicodemus to Nicodemus. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son, which is interesting, believes and then obey, will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgments. Uh, your thoughts, Rabbi Jerry? Uh, I think you, you point out one of the biggest <clears throat> is that belief leads to obedience. You can't claim to believe if you do not obey. But again, it's it's you know, we come back to this over and over again. There is no third path. There is no fourth path. There is no coexist bumper sticker that gets you to heaven, right? It's either you believe in God, the son of God, who has been given everything, who has the spirit without limit, who wants to transform us from within and, and make us be born again, regenerated. And, and from that, we will experience eternal life or we choose to reject God. We choose to love darkness. We choose to hide with our sins. And we will experience nothing more than God's judgment, which we're actually already under right now, but will increase in in our passing from this world. Um, the idea of God's judgment will 
will never leave us if we don't place our trust in Messiah Yeshua. It's very simple. It's a binary choice, one or the other. Thank you, Rabbi Jerry.